Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. When we approach God, we, we immediately have to approach God with the consciousness that when we approach God, we approach Him from a position of deficit. That, that is to say that um, God cannot be known except for He wants to be known. He is so much God, and so much more God, and we are so much not God, that does God not want to be known, there is no way for us to know Him. One of the things that you should feel blessed about is that God cared enough to be known. I'm thinking about this because I have some thoughts that I'm going to bring together, hopefully, for you today. And uh, I was thinking that um, after 9-11 happened, after 9-11 happened, I traveled and flew um, the next week or maybe the week after that. I was, I was one of the early flyers after that. And I noticed how much the world changed. Travel changed immediately, you know. I remember back when Oral Roberts preached here one time that when I went to the Detroit airport to pick him up, I, I just stopped, parked my car at the curb, got out of the car, walked straight up to the gate that he was coming out of, greeted him at the gate, walked him back to the curb, got in my car and kept on moving. After 9-11, you can't park at the curb. You got to go over here. You can't just be walking if, if you don't have a boarding pass you can't go to the gate if you have a boarding pass you got to go through a metal detector it wasn't that much longer after that then you had to start taking your shoes off people go the, the first time i ever traveled i'm just telling you a story for me the first time i ever flew i put on a suit i was i was a teenager i put on a suit got my briefcase because that's what you used to do back in the day you used to dress up to travel after nine people go to in pajamas now it was like, because it's easier to get through all, everything. You just go, you just go in pajamas and, and loafers, and, and you say, I'll get dressed whenever I go to where I'm going. Everything changed. One of the things that I noticed, though, about people was that they were super nice because everybody was coming together, and people were going up, and, and if, the, if the captain of the aircraft was there, male or female, uh, they would be standing there, and people gave them some respect, and they said, thank you, thank you, because they knew this was, this was terrifying to be, to, to see what had happened, and they were thanking all of the flight attendants, male or female, and people were very kind and very, oh, thank you, thank you very much, and, and, and very easy to deal with, and, 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 and the, the highest attended Sunday in the history of our generation, of our generation, was the Sunday after 9-11. Because everybody was coming together to pray and to seek God and to ask him to help us. This, this church building right here was contacted by people who didn't come here. Local businesses that are not too far from here called this church and said, during our lunch breaks, can we bring our staff and just pray in your sanctuary? That's, that's what happened after 9-11. It tried to shake us, but we came together. And when we came together, we called on God. I, I say that, brothers and sisters, because I'm a little concerned now because there's a difference between a coming together and what I'm seeing in the world now is mean people. I'm not seeing people come together. I'm seeing divisive people. 
I'm seeing angry people. And, and in, in my heart, when I'm asking God, what, is, what, what, what would be the difference between a 9-11 experience and a global pandemic experience? And the answer is simple. The answer is one word called isolation. Isolation is, has a damaging effect upon the human psyche. It is not good for man to be alone. And the word alone is the word isolation. It is not good for us to be isolated. Let me preach my part of it. Don't, don't be running off in your own direction with this now. But because I understand quarantine, I understand social distancing, I understand that. What I'm trying to explain to you is that we have to be conscious of the fact that it's having an effect on people. Yeah. Because we believe God for revival. I believe that where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. That good is greater than evil. And so we're praying for revival. The thing that I've learned about God over the years is whatever God does doesn't normally look like what you think it's going to look like. And so we start thinking about and we're praying about God, send revival to our nation, send revival to our generation, bring healing to our land. And everybody is, is, is praying the prayer and believing it, but it may not look exactly the way that we wanted it to look. So, so now, so I started thinking about one of the greatest things that hinders global evangelism. One of the things that hinders global evangelism, I'm going to say it like I want to, is mean Christians. I'm going to say it like I want to say it because that's really an oxymoron. You shouldn't be able to be a Christian and be mean at the same time, but I've been doing it long enough to know that it's the, it's, there's three of them around at least. And I realize that they're mean because they're mad. And they're mad because they serve a God that they can't please. And when you believe in a God, but you think you can't please God, that makes you mad. And being mad makes you mean. And being mean makes people not want to serve the same God that you're talking about. Can I work it out? I'm gonna, I'm, what I'm teaching you is, is progressive revelation. I'm going to get there. The Bible says that teaches us, really, the principle is this. Whatever you behold, you become. Whatever you behold, you become. So when we come to God, there is no such thing as a mask. We, this, this, I'm giving you the scripture. We with an open face, an unveiled face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed, watch, into that same image. Everybody say image. If you're at your house, say image or send a thumbs up or however it is that you do what you do. Put a little clap in there or something. And, and what happens is the image that you behold is the image that you become. I've never met a mean Christian who didn't have an image that God was mad. And if your image is that God is mad, then you are changed into the image that you behold and now you're mad. If you see God with a smile on his face, in my image of God is that whenever I, 
whenever I say, hey, God, Michael talking to you, I, God never calls me bishop. And I say, hey, hey God, this, this is Michael over here talking to you. I always feel like God is like, so glad to hear from you. So glad to see you. I see God with a smile on his face. That's, that's the image of God that I have. I want to talk to you about, about the power of this because I could show you some uh, images. That's what I'm going to do because, because images are interesting because when you see them, they're almost global. I was growing up in church, and um, Kathy and I both talked about this particular image of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that particular image right there, how many of you ever went to church and ever saw that? And, uh, and, and the churches that we were going to, they would have this, this picture. Everybody, everybody knew what it was. Everybody knew what it was. I don't remember when I learned it. I just knew it because it was just always there, the image of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you didn't have it painted on the wall, but you've seen it on funeral fans. And you've seen it in, uh, in, in, in the middle when we were kids and we would get Bibles, that, a physical Bible. Then in the middle of it, you would always have those little pic, those pictures, and you could always find that picture there. That's, that's an image. That's an image. What about this next one here? Everybody in the world, when they see this, that image right there, you don't even have to say anything. You, you can put that up any place from Cape Town to Cairo. You can, you can put it up in China. You can put it up in London. You can put it up in the hood. You can put it up in the White House, you can put it wherever you put it up. You don't even have to really explain that, that particular image. This, there's another image I got right here, and this is, this is the image of Jesus coming out of the tomb. Famous, famous, famous image. These images say something. The, the, reason, the reason I find these important is because the image that we see is the same for all of us but it's what we attach to it that tells us who we are people that see the same image can come up with a different conclusion so here's here's what I figured out I figured out that people that have the same scriptures know the same images but treat people so much differently, have an image problem, here it goes, because they don't know how to know God. Did you hear that? It is possible, and, and some people think that this is all about getting an A on the Bible paper, but you can get the A on the Bible paper, and getting an A on the Bible paper does not mean that you know God, it means you know the Bible. I was on a Bible quiz team when I was a kid <laughs> and where you had to hit buzzers and everything and I was mean I just knew how to remember the Bible but 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 nobody taught me how to know God I was put in the right atmospheres I was taken to church all the time my father is watching right now on online we were taught that and taught to pray but you have to know God for yourself. Just because my dad knew God didn't mean that I knew God. It means I knew that my dad knew God. <laughs> Some people don't know how to know God. We're going we're to get there today. We're going to help somebody. Somebody didn't, you didn't hit your share button earlier because you didn't think this message was going to be any good. You better hit it now. You better hit it now. Because we're getting ready. To, here's what I believe. Because, because of my understanding, I believe, of principalities and powers, because I know God, I know God did not send a virus to us. 
If I don't know the Bible, I know God. I, I don't have to have a verse. Most of the people in the world can't read anyway. Are you here? Most, most of the people in the world can't read. I, I don't want to do any damage to Scripture. You know I love the Bible. I love the Bible. But I, what I'm trying to tell you is having a Bible does not mean that you know God. And the, some of the things I know about God are not in the Bible. I don't have to have a verse. When I know God, and because I know God, I know God did not send a virus to us. But I know enough about principalities and powers to know that they set out to demoralize people. And I know, I know that the devil is not afraid of the NFL. I know that the devil is not afraid of the NBA. I know that the devil is not afraid of the MLB. So it tells me that really the target always of the devil is the church. Because it was to the church that Jesus said, the gates of hell do not have the power to prevail against it. And so God's saving agency in the world is his church. I'm coming, I'm coming. So the concept of isolation is, is counterintuitive to us because it is totally different than everything and many things that are common to church experience. We're used to holding hands when we pray. We're used to laying hands on the sick. We're used to shouting and running and hugging and, and touching and, and, and being connected and doing it. And, and so then when we have to become isolated, when we have to become isolated, then there's something that is, it's, it tries to demoralize the people of God. I'm coming. Because this is the goal of the enemy is to demoralize the spirit of the people of God so that they lose their faith. Because before there was an NFL, there was a church. Before there was an NBA, there was a church. Before there was a national basketball or, or MLB baseball team there was a church before there was the internet there was church before there were malls there was a church before there were movie theaters there were a church before before there was before there was currency there was a church and what I'm trying to tell you is all of these other things affect us because our life is disrupted our life becomes disrupted and then people become angry they become angry when they're isolated crime rates are up right now Domestic violence is up right now. Addictions are up right now. Are you hearing me? Because people are angry. People are mad. People are upset. And people don't know how to reason together. And so they just, they just, they're looking for a reason to be mad. And, you, and, and before we had a, 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 an official announcement about uh, being in public uh, with masks on, before it was a, a, a public announcement like that, people were mad about that. Some people mad if you got a mask on. Some people mad if you, if you got one on. Well, what's the matter? You got a spirit fear? What's the matter? You trying to breathe on me? Everybody's looking for a reason to be mad. Why? Because the enemy wants to isolate us. So somewhere, wherever you may be, in your heart, in your mind, in your home, in this house, you got to say, I might have 
to do some social distancing, but I will not be separated from the body of Christ. I will not be separated from my church family. I will not be separated. I might not be able to go to the mall. I might not go to a baseball game. They may cancel the NFL. They may cancel school, but my faith will not be canceled. My commitment will not be canceled because I'm going to push back on this devil and let him know what you sent for evil. God's going to turn for our good, and we're going to see God do something in our generation. This is important that people know how to know God. If you don't know how to know God, you just learn the Bible, but you're mad and that's what makes you mean. Anybody ever have somebody show up in your world quoting verses to hurt you? I call it a Bible and a rock. Anytime somebody comes your way with a Bible and a rock, you need to run. Because some people can use the scripture to damage people because they know the Bible. They don't know what it means. They know what it said. They can quote it, but they don't know the God of the Bible. And somebody has to teach us to think a little bit about how are we to know God? Because should God not want to be known, nobody could know him. I'm not, I'm not going to wear you out with this. I don't want to mess up your whole day. I don't want to make you mad. And I, the way that we know God, first of all, is through natural revelation. So, the, this, so I'm going to show you about three, three more images, and I'll, then I'll be out your way. This first, this first image is, is the image of creation. This, this is one of my favorite. I have like three kind of like favorite images. And so the image of creation is, is, is famous. And this is, you know, the, the, from, from Michelangelo, right? The Sistine Chapel, and it's, it's, it's God touching Adam. So we, we learn about God through natural revelation, which means if God did not want us to know anything about him, then... We wouldn't know it. Watch. Without a Bible, without a preacher, without anything, if I look into God's creation, I know something about God. Hmm. I know that God is a God of order. God comes to the earth, the earth is without form and void. Darkness is upon the face of the deep. And God begins to put things in order. Water goes over here. Land goes over here. Water above, water below, birds in the air, fish in the sea. God is a God of order. I also know then that God is also a God who um, is, is colorful, I call it. God is colorful and diverse. When God makes flowers, he don't make one color. He makes all kind of colors. When God makes plants that are green, he makes all kinds of shades of green. When God makes birds, it's all kind of different color birds. God is, a, God is colorful. Sunsets are beautiful. And they can have all kinds of oranges in the sky, the color orange in the sky. And it can be blues and grays and hues and mixtures. And it's beautiful. And the sunrises are beautiful. God is a colorful God. God was not trying to get blackbirds to be white birds. <laughs> you're, 
Y'all got scared of me, didn't you? And God wasn't trying to get white birds to be black birds. <laughs> God wasn't trying to get birds to be dolphins. He wasn't trying to get Adam to be Eve. He wasn't trying to get Eve to be Adam. God is a diverse God. God is a God who loves diversity. When people get mean and mad, they're always trying to get everybody else to be what they want them to be. Rather than being what God made them to be. I'm going to keep on rolling here because uh, the, uh, the other thing is God is abundant. That's what I know about natural revelation. This is how you, I'm trying to teach you how to know God. I, I know God. I know God because I've realized through natural revelation that he's a God of abundance. Nothing that God ever made did he make just a little bit of. Everything God made, he made too much of. He's a too much God. I said he's a too much God. He made more stars than you can count. More sand on the sea than you can count. No snowflake that has ever fallen is identical to another snowflake that has fallen. Seven billion people on this planet, maybe eight right now, and no one has ever had your fingerprint. No one has ever had your eye, eye print. No one has your voice print. You can be imitated, but you cannot be duplicated. And we understand that God is a God of abundance. He, 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 he doesn't have any lack of anything. God is a God of abundance. Let me, let me just kind of get to where I'm going because I also understand through natural revelation that God is concerned about things being good. Nobody's even there. Nobody's even there. And God says, first day, nobody's even there. And God says, that's good. That's good. Second day, that's good. It tells me, because it keeps being repeated, that this is good. This is good. It tells me that God is concerned about that things are good. Yeah. Something being good means that it fulfills the purpose for which God has created it without causing injury. So he put the sun just far enough away to give us warmth but not burn us up. Yeah. He put the moon just in the right place because it is the gravitational pull that holds the atmosphere. You, you can't have an earth without a moon. It holds the atmosphere into place and it has an effect upon the tides and it's just in the, and, it, and it has a cycle by which it goes into a full moon. And then, and that's, that's when folks act up on the full moon and they go to howling and being mean. And so, so I know that God cares about things being good. My point, my point, we know then that God is relational. It's my last thing on this particular screen, okay? God is relational. Because God knew he could do all this. And he knew it was good. But he didn't have anybody to share it with. So God creates man in his own image. Watch now. But he didn't create man, mankind, please, mankind. He didn't create man until he created the good. And then he took the man and put him in the good. And because God is relational... God came walking into the good every day in the cool of the day God walked into the good to talk to the man because God wanted to be known 
He wants to be in relationship with you. That's what I know just from, just from observing creation and a little bit that I know about that. I know that God is good. And if you, if you know how to know God and you can relate to God, then that keeps you from being one of those tightly wound, mad, upset, ready to flip out and trip out and go off on somebody kind of a Christian. Because God is too good for me to be so mean. I have another picture for you. This is my second one. I only have three today. Uh, this, this picture is Jesus riding in the sand. It's one of my favorite images. I love this image because the image is not the picture of a woman caught in the act of adultery. The picture is not everybody standing there with rocks in their hands. Because, see, this image and this story helps me know God. I said, this story helps me know God. I learn about God through these, these stories and these parables because I get to watch what is God trying to get me to know because I know he's good and I know he's relational and I know he's setting things in order. I, I, I know all this. Here comes the story because you know it, right? Woman's caught in the act of adultery and then you got these tightly wound, mean, mad, don't know God, know the law, don't know God. Therefore, they're excited. They're excited. We get, we get the stoner, right? How are you going to be excited about this? They're excited. To such a degree, think about the temerity of this. To such a degree that the Son of God walks up on you and you're going to quote the, the law to him. That tells me it's possible for you to know scriptures, but you don't know how to know God. And so, so there she is, and she's wrong. Somebody say she's wrong. She's wrong. She's wrong. See, if, if you don't know God, you think that, that Jesus is trying to act like she's not wrong. He didn't say she wasn't wrong. He told her at the end of it, right? Go your way, sin no more. He, he didn't say she didn't sin. What he did do was get down because they was all happy. What are you going to tell us? The law says that we get the stoner. So Jesus just gets down, starts writing. Every Bible scholar believes that what he started writing was their sins. Right? Because he knows all their names. So how about if he's like, if your name is Thomas, don't be upset. And he says, so he's, he just looks over there at Thomas and goes, okay, Thomas, time, place, date he's, he started writing he starts writing their sins down he, he, didn't, he didn't excuse it and the Bible said they all dropped their rocks and it's interesting it said from the eldest to the youngest see that's a, I know God's a God of order the reason the oldest dropped his first is because he had more sin he lived long he had more sin the youngest was the last one you know Jesus said, where are your accusers? Go, go your way and sin no more. This tells me something. That God never called us to be rock throwers. 
he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't create the body of Christ for us to be in the earth, in our cities, or in our families pointing out everybody else's sins. Being, being mean and ugly. So, all throughout the scripture, you have this thing that you learn that you have to be careful because some of the, some of the greatest wounds that people inflict are people that they are supposed to be brothers with. Cain and Abel, his own brother. Joseph was sold by people that were supposed to be his brothers. The story of the prodigal is trying to get these brothers to get along. Talk to me in here. So I'm still talking about the things that sometimes hinder evangelism is because unbelievers watch the way that believers treat each other. Jesus said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. When they see the love that you have one for another. You, get, you guys got time for one more? I mean, I, we ain't got no place to go. The buffet is shut down. You can't even go. They had sneeze guards before anybody had sneeze guards. And they shut them down anyway. All right. I like this one. Uh, this, this is Jesus carrying the sheep. This is, this is my clothes. This is my clothes, almost. This is my, this is my um, close to closing part. The, um, I like this. In, in the, in, there was a couple churches I was growing, uh, growing up in, and they would have an image similar to this um, with Jesus carrying this sheep. Anybody familiar with this image? It's here in the building. If you're familiar with this image, it's Jesus carrying the sheep. And I love this picture because it, it tells me something about God. When I know about God and I understand the images that are in my mind and I know how to know God, then it helps me to know how to, to become what I behold. It's hard for me to be mean. Well... I better, I better correct that because the Holy Ghost just jumped up on me like, what? Um, it, would be, it would be easy for my nature to be mean, except for I know how good God has been to me. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And it would be easy to, for me to want to throw rocks except for the fact that rocks would have taken me out a long time ago. I, I, I love, that's why I like the image of Jesus, because Jesus got down into the dirt for me and wrote my defense. Are you hearing me? The, the, the reason that I like this image is because it teaches me that God will carry you. Hmm. God will carry you. God will carry you. I said God will carry you. Everybody that knows that God has carried you through some time in your life, whether you're at home or here, you ought to just, even if you're in a room by yourself, you ought to wave your hand to let the devil know, I know God carried me. I know he carried me. No, he carried me. 
The reason this is important is because this is, this is I'm, I'm giving you the Bible part of it now, okay? And, I'm, and then I'm done. I'm giving you the Bible part of it now because if you remember God being a God of relationship and presence, when they lost the presence of God because God had put his presence into a box, right? The Ark of the Covenant so that he could dwell among his people and so that they had a physical image. They had an image so that they always remembered that God is with us. He is with us. He is with us. And their enemies found out that God takes it personal when you mess with his kids. Their enemies found out. We don't know how to explain it. We don't know what to tell you. But you start messing with, with them people over there and something comes up out that box and things start happening. Things, fire comes down and winds start blowing. Water opens up. Whatever has to happen because God don't like you messing with his kids. And so what happened is under Eli, when Eli was there, he got old and blind and all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then the Pharisees, the, 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 uh, uh, I started to say Pharisees, uh, the Philistines, thank you. The Philistines came in under the cover of darkness and they took that box away. And when they took that box away, this is a whole other story, but they, they broke out in tumors because the presence did not belong to them. And so David, when he becomes king, track with me. Is this too much Bible? Y'all ain't been to church for a while. I'm just trying to get you caught up on your, uh, on your stuff. So when David becomes king, David says to everybody, let's go get it back. And David went and they got the ark and they put it on that cart. Keep tracking with me. I'm getting ready to say something. And they put that ark on that cart and they were coming back, and they were all happy. David was happy, and one of the oxen stumbled. Y'all remember this? And then so the thing tipped, and Uzzah reached up and put his hand on it and died. Party's over. Party's over. So many lessons in that. But what it means is that anytime something is in transition, anytime the anointing is in transition, it's going to look unstable. And when it looks unstable, you better be careful not to put your hand on it because you're not supposed to be touching it just because it looks unstable because it's in transition. Kathy and I were talking the other day. We were 21 years old when we started this church. There were more people up here on this platform team today than were in our first services. And do you know how many times throughout the years I look like I didn't know what I was doing. You know why I look like I didn't know what I was doing? Because I didn't know what I was doing. You know why I didn't know what I was doing? Because it was the first time I'd ever done it. Nobody taught me how to have a TV program. Nobody taught me how to build a building. Nobody taught me zoning laws. Nobody taught me how to read a blueprint. Nobody taught me how to organize businesses. Nobody taught me how to lead an organization. Nobody taught me how to deal with volunteers. Nobody taught me, and nobody taught me that in the, in the same places, people that you helped and people that you cared about and people that you sold into would turn on you in a dime and lie on you when you couldn't tell the truth on them. I, nobody taught me that and there were times I knew I didn't know I, what I was doing but people learned don't put your hand on him because I was looked like I didn't know what I was doing because I was in 
transition. Hmm. Oh, yeah. As my friend Dr. Jazz says, I just said something right there. And um, they take, the, they take the, the ark to Obed-Edom's house. And we, we make that like that was great, like Obed-Edom, like, yeah. The last person that just touched that thing died. And then they go to Obed-Edom and said, we won't put this in your house. He's like, eh, maybe not. Guess what they found out? That everything, watch, I'm still talking about presence, relational. That because the presence was in his house, everything connected to him. His plants were growing. Anybody got a garden? His plants grew better than everybody else's plants. Anybody got some bad kids? His kids was better than everybody else's kids. His wife was nicer than everybody else's wife. Everything connected to Obed-Edom was blessed because the presence was at his house. What David does now is David goes and seeks God. I'm getting ready to say something. David goes and seeks God. Why did this thing happen? And here's what God basically tells him. Because the presence was never meant to be on a cart. If it's on a cart, you get to wheel it in and wheel it out. I'm talking to believers now. The church was never built so that whenever we want the presence, we wheel it in and then wheel it out. Your life was never meant to wheel it in and wheel it out. I may not be able to hear you if you're in your house, but I need everybody to throw an amen somewhere. Because here's what happens. Here's what God told him. He said, it was never meant to be wheeled in. It was meant to be carried. It was meant to be carried. He said, I want you to go get them Levites. Go get those priests. And put them up under that thing. I'm coming to the end, so just hang on. And because the presence is meant to be carried. The Ark of the Covenant weighed 615 pounds. But if you got that weight on you, if it lifts, you know it. If you're driving a cart, it may roll off. And you don't, you may not. But if you're up under that weight, you know when it lifts. And the weight of it, the weight of it, the weight of it, which is one of the words for glory, doxa, weight. It means that when you're up under that weight, then you, you're always conscious that it's there. Do I have 10 minutes? The, 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 the weight is there because you carry it. It's hard to explain to anyone what being priestly is when they've never been under the weight. Sometimes you're the priest in your family, but you're up under the weight. Uh, I, I'm getting there. Here, here's my one tweetable moment. I am so close to being done, you don't even know. The, my tweetable moment is this. If you can carry the weight of presence, 
you can carry the weight of people. I'm actually still ending where I started. And that is the, re the reason people are mean is because they don't have the heart of a priest. They don't have the heart of a priest because they're not up under the presence. And when you're not up under the presence, you don't know how to carry people. If you're up under 615 pounds, watch me now. If you're up under 615 pounds, carrying somebody else is light work. And I find out people that can't carry other people and always have criticisms for other people are people that don't have any weight on them and you ain't done nothing and you don't have the right to be criticizing people because you're, you're supposed to be carrying people. I'm going to say it the way I want to say it pretty soon. Anyhow, so th there's a man in Acts chapter 3, right? The Bible says they carried him. Carried who? We don't know who it was. Somebody carried him daily to the gate called Beautiful. It's Acts chapter 3, if you want to do your homework when you get home. Acts chapter 3, they bring him to the gate called Beautiful. Before we go any further, everybody under the sound of my voice, however you're going to do it, I ought to thank God that someday, somewhere, somebody carried you. Because everybody has to be carried a little bit sometime. And they carried him there. The thing, though, that you have to know is people, people can only carry you so far. They can't carry him beyond the gate, but they can carry him to the gate. And he got there, and they carried him to the gate, to the gate called Beautiful. And but here it comes, Peter and John. See, they've been up under the presence. So this is lightweight. This is easy. Because they've been up under the, the presence in the upper room the day before. And they come walking to the temple at the hour of prayer. He re reaches his hand out expecting for them to give him money or something. And they said, silver and gold have I none, but whatever I have, I give it to you. That's them carrying him. And he got up and leaped and walked. My, my favorite story about carrying is this, this man who was paralyzed in the Bible, and he was carried by four friends. Y'all remember that story? Jesus was in the house. They couldn't get there. No room, and four of his friends picked him up in his stretcher and carried him to Jesus. And when he got to Jesus, where Jesus was at, there was no way to get in. And some people would have just said, well, let's go on back. I don't know whether they were tired of carrying him, like we didn't carried you too far, we ain't, we ain't, we're too tired to carry you home. I don't know what that thing was, but they said, we're going to get up on this roof, and we're going to tear a hole in this roof. And the Bible said when Jesus saw their faith. There is a faith that comes when you're not isolated from your church. There's a faith that comes when I will not let you distract me from my purpose. There is a faith that comes when I realize that every attack that the enemy throws really ultimately has as its purpose to uproot, to disrupt you, to isolate you, and to cause you not to be able to be able to carry anybody because you're mad. Thank you. The 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 four men carrying him is a is a is a is a picture. It's a picture of the four Gospels carrying paralyzed humanity to Jesus. 
Out of the four gospels, man who is paralyzed and can't get to where he is going is carried by four gospel writers to the place where Jesus is at. Oh, can you see it in your mind? Do you have an image? Do you have a picture? One, one corner is picked up by Brother Matthew. Matthew starts off because Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is king. That's the purpose of Matthew. And Matthew wants you to know he's not an illegitimate king, that he came down through a bloodline. When you read the book of Matthew, if you go to Matthew 1 and 1, it starts off that way. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And he starts going down through those, through those bloodlines. By the time you get to verse 17, it says, From Abraham unto David are 14 generations. From David until the carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations. From the carrying away of Babylon unto Christ are 14 14 generations. Matthew wants you to know he came through a through 42 generations. He gave birth and record to the fact that Jesus is through the right bloodline to be king. Matthew's carrying him. Brother Mark comes along next, and Mark wants you to know, yes, he is a king, but he's also a miracle worker. When you read the Gospel of Mark, Mark has more miracles than any other gospel in the New Testament. Every chapter nearly, except for about five chapters in the book of Mark, has some kind of miracle in it. Because Mark wants you to know, yes, he's a king. Yes, he came down through 42 generations, but he's a bad miracle worker. He can cast out devils. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can deliver the bound and the oppressed. And Matthew and Mark are in their place. Then over here on this other corner comes good old Brother Luke. Brother Luke, really Dr. Luke, right? Dr. Luke and with the precision of a surgeon and the heart of a family physician Luke starts writing it all out and Luke does not leave out details Luke has about 17 parables in it that are not even in the other gospels the parable of the lost sheep is only in Luke the parable of the lost coin is only in Luke the parable of the prodigal son is only in Luke the parable of the good Samaritan is only in Luke because Luke wants you to know yes he's a king and yes he's a bad miracle worker but he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Luke writes it on out. Now we got one place left, and here comes Brother John. Can I preach it like I feel it? Now comes Brother John, and Brother John comes walking along, and John becomes the genesis of the New Testament. And so he starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, and without him, was not anything made that was made. And he said, and the light in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined into the darkness, and the darkness could not put it out. Oh, by the time you get down to verse 14, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John said, my, my beginning starts before Genesis beginning. Oh, you missed that uh, because the, the, the beginning in Genesis is the beginning of creation. But John said, I'm going to take you back before creation. I'm going all the way back to in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he said, what I'm trying to get you to understand, John testifies of himself that the purpose that I wrote this book is that all men might believe. And so here we go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John picking up paralyzed humanity and walk them on their way to where Jesus is at because if you can't carry somebody then you can't get no miracles to happen. You got to quit dropping people and learn how to carry somebody. You got to quit criticizing people that are up under a weight. You got to quit trying to 
to be mean and nasty and mad and letting corrupt communication come out of your mouth is corrupt. I don't care whether you say it or type it. I don't care how you do it. It's still nasty and it's still mean and it's still stuff that you don't know nothing about. And I'm going to tell you one thing before I sit down. Now, this part is not as a bishop, kind of it is, but it's as a dad. I'm not going to sit around and watch people criticize Phil and Meredith when they've been wearing themselves out doing everything they know how to do. I'm not, I'm not going to have it. 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 They, they're probably nervous or embarrassed at the fact that I'm even saying it right now. But I'm going to tell you what. I have... You, I, I, I talk to pastors that have been pastoring for a long time. And pastors, because of isolation, pastors in their churches, they, they don't know who they're pastoring. They haven't preached for a long time. They can't even visit their own members in the hospitals. They can't do funerals. They don't know when they're opening back up. They try to open up, then they shut back down again. We don't know what's going to happen in Ohio. And they, they try to open, then they shut down. It changes every three days. It's causing a psychological damaging fact because they're trying to lead a church and they tell the members we're going to have church on Sunday, but before the Sunday gets there, then something happens and everything got to be shut. They, they're doing everything. They do. that, that, that's, that's pastors I'm talking to that have been around for a long time. They've been around for a long time, and the number one word I hear them using is, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I don't know how to help my members. I don't know who, if, if anybody is even still there anymore. I don't know if when we open up, is anybody even going to be looking at me? I can't do nothing. I don't know how to. they just like this because the devil is trying to disrupt and isolate people. And so that's people have been doing it for a long time. Then you throw on top of that the, the economic crises that people are dealing with all over the place. And then there's an economic crisis. And then more churches are closing, closing every week this year than at any other time in recent history. Y'all don't understand the devil thinks he's winning because he's locking people down, isolating them, taking their money from them, and then shutting them down. Churches that have been around for 50 years that people got married in and people had funerals in and the gospel were preached and people came to the altar and got saved and people were baptized and had communion in those churches are shutting their doors because the enemy is trying to disrupt the very thing that he knows has the power to run him out of every city. And that is the church of people who know how to stand together up on the rock of Jesus Christ. I'm looking for an amen somewhere. And so, that's good, just hang on. And so, and, and, and so what, what I'm trying to tell you is that that's, that's two things. You got an economic thing, you got, you got the COVID-19, and in the middle of that, we have to see Mr. Floyd killed in our streets and we're already on edge we're already mad we're already isolated we're already hurt and frustrated you got people that have been got their kids up in their house you're thanking god for teachers now ain't you you think of god for teachers by god you can't wait for you if the school board ever wanted to get a levy passed, now would be the time to do it. Be like, yes, I will buy what? What do you need? What do you need? You ain't even got to teach them nothing. Just babysit them. I don't care if they're in seventh grade. Just babysit them. And, and so 
And so I'm, 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 you know, we're laughing a little bit about it because I'm trying to make it go down a little easier. But, but when you have a man or a woman, husband and wife, or single parent, whose job got flipped upside down, can't go out and see their friend, on lockdown, with these three little mean kids, <laughs> you know? And then we are sitting there, already kind of turned upside down and disrupted and isolated and frustrated. We done did everything we know how to do. We done painted rooms and Kathy's trying to teach me how to cook and I'm feeding birds and we planted a garden in the back and gave our dog a haircut. We did everything we know how to do. And you know, you do, do everything, put puzzles together. You know? And I don't know if anybody else has felt this way. I said, you know, I'm going to grab a book over here. I'm, I'm going to read this particular book and realize that my brain was so tired that I couldn't concentrate. Y'all don't mind if I talk to you. The number of Zoom chats that I've done trying to help pastors and church leaders and Zooming all over the world. I'm going to be preaching in three churches this week, none of them physically. I've already recorded the messages upstairs in Studio B. And I'll be in three, three different churches Ask me, would you, would you send a message? Because the pastor is exhausted. Trying to figure out this and that. And then, as I said, the economy and, and all the Zoom chats. And then, then because, because of our standing as, as, as an integrated church, it has been a diverse church for all these years, when after the Floyd situation, which, which I, I'm perfectly aware was not the only situation, it was just the tipping point. It was just like when we said, okay, okay, we can't have this no more. I hadn't been much out, I mean, outside. I've been in my yard, but I'm talking about I ain't been around nobody up till that time. And I said, I'm, I'm going to have to get involved. And I did, some of you saw them, I did news interviews. I did a meeting with the mayor. Phil, Meredith, Kathy, and I put our masks on, or some of them did. I think, no, I had one. And, um, and we got out and marched with our friends. We didn't tear nothing up. We weren't trying to tear nothing up. We're trying to make a point. We're trying to make a point. So, what I'm trying to tell you is in the middle of all that, here we are, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, I told Kathy, I said, can you imagine... Phil and Meredith, if this was our first rodeo, like they all, all excited, because you know in October, we're going to make it, you know, strong and official, anointing service, some kind of way. We're going to do it some kind of way. I said, we're going to do it some kind of way. And, and so you guys were here last year at Heaven on Earth when we, when we we've been telling about it for two years, because that's, that's the, the role that Kathy and I are transitioning into in the body of Christ. This is, this is always going to be our home church. We're always going to be here. We're always going to be around. But I want to be able to help churches and help pastors and serve in a parental role in the body. But I was telling, I was telling Kathy, I said, could you imagine Phil and Mary? Because last October, you know, everybody's cheering. Everything's great. They're like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. As soon as after the first of the year hits, I mean, they fresh out the shoot. Fresh out the shoot. Bam! Global pandemic. 
That's the, that's the first thing. Global, no. Global, no. Shut your church down <laughs> kind of a thing. And so thank God we were ahead of the curve. So even though we weren't in physical services, all of our faithful, those, many of you were faithful. People give on their phones. People give online. In the middle of that, economic stuff. And then racial tensions. And people are on edge. People are being mad. And I think I, what, what I didn't want for them, and I'm, I'm sorry to be talking about this like you're not in the room. But what I did not want for them was for them to early on feel the pain that Kathy and I have felt when you have to make tough decisions and people that don't know nothing feel like they can sit anywhere and throw a rock at you not knowing that we carry people around here. I thought like, no, 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 no. No, no, I didn't want them to feel that. I didn't want them to feel that. But I watched them. I watched them. I talked to them. I looked in their faces. I saw the tears in their eyes. I could feel their pain. And I watched them get up here and carry you anyway. And stand up here. Hold their head up. Hold their head up and preach the word of God. Pray for people. And they, and they stood up, and that's, that's how they, because they have composure. And they have grace. I'm just going to tell you something. What we do around here, what I've done for 35 years, is I carry people. I carry people. Don't make me go around this room. I carry people. I've carried some people I wish I hadn't carried. But I still carry people. Because if I can carry the weight of the presence, carrying people ain't that hard for me. The old song said, you ain't heavy. You're my brother. Everybody sit down. I'm going to take two minutes. If I come down here, am I going to walk out of the light? Is it going to mess up our cameras? Probably. Okay. So, because all, everybody's watching. This, 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 this is for real last story because now I want to pray for somebody. If you can find some strings or something like that, just to kind of, some kind of a bed music to get under. Because I want, I want this word right here to travel into somebody's heart. What I, what I gave you was kind of a, a broad picture, but now let's bring it into your house because here's what I do know. There's a guy in the Bible who has one of the oddest names. His name is Mephibosheth. He's the only Mephibosheth I've ever heard of in my life. Nobody na names their kids that because they, they, it'll take them, they had to be 12 before they could spell it. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. Jonathan is Saul's son. That's what I'm talking about. King Saul, Jonathan. Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. And you can read about this in 2 Samuel, about the fourth chapter. Here's what it says. Mephibosheth had a nurse. And as was custom in that time, sometimes they had wet nurses, sometimes they had caretakers, you know, all those things, and they watched out for the kids. We might would call him an au pair or um, babysitter. And what happened was she was supposed to be carrying him. And the Bible said she got in a hurry. And she started running. And she dropped him. And when she dropped him, he no longer could walk. King James says he was lame in his feet. He was lame in his feet 
because the person that was supposed to be carrying him dropped him. This is, this is why I want to bring it to you personally because it's been my experience that angry people, mean people, mad people sometimes are reliving the fact that somebody dropped them. Somebody that should have been carrying them dropped them and they're lame in their feet. It's easier to raise healthy children than it is to repair broken adults. I think Frederick Douglass was the one that said that originally. My point is I want to talk to someone because the incredible part about this story, there's a whole lot in there. He was five years old when this happened. That means that's the number of grace. Just as he was about ready to come into his grace, somebody dropped him and he became lame. And David said, is there not somebody from the house of Saul that I can do something for? And somebody, David, you know, is a picture of Jesus. Somebody said, well, they got Mephibosheth over there who's lame. That's what they always said about Mephibosheth. That's always the tagline. Mephibosheth, you know, who's lame in his feet. <laughs> and David said, go get him. Watch what David says. I want you to sit at my table every day and eat. This is a picture of what Jesus does because when you sit at the table, you're at equal level with everybody else. And when you're sitting at the table, can't nobody see through the table to see that you're lame in your feet. But I'm praying a prayer right here for everyone at home. I know I've preached a little bit longer than um, I started to say than normal, but just than I have in a while. But I went just a little bit longer, but it was important for me to give you a picture so that you know how to know God. Because if you know God and you can carry the presence, you can carry people. That's all I came to tell you. Jesus is carrying us. I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you want to sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.